Welcome to Get in the Herd, a podcast about addiction and recovery brought to you by the McShin Foundation. If you or a loved one are looking for real discussions about addiction, recovery, stigma, advocacy, and most importantly, hope, then stick around. Thanks for joining us. Now sit back and get ready for another great episode of Get in the Herd. It's showtime. Welcome, folks, to the McShen Foundation here in <laughs> Richmond, Virginia. I'm John Shenolsa, co-hosting with Nathan Mitchell over here. Today we got an awesome lineup. We got Commonwealth Attorney from the County of Henrico in Virginia here. Gonna in today's topic, we're gonna talk about marijuana became legal today in the state of Virginia and, and what impact that might have in the criminal justice system and of course the recovering community. But before we get started, I'm going to let our guest introduce herself, Shannon. Hi, it's Shannon Taylor, Commonwealth Attorney for Henrico County. Glad to be here. Woo-woo. Welcome star, back. And a star support of the recovering community, I might add. You yes. know, we, we've been knowing each other for years now, really. Uh, yeah, before I even got in this position, yeah. I was doing defense work. When you were just a defense attorney. Just a defense, just attorney. A defense attorney. And Nathan, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. Uh, Nathan Mitchell here. I'm a person in recovery from a substance use disorder. Welcome back. Great to have you. Um, you. You've been in this position for 10 years now, I think, right? 2011? Yeah, fr- yeah frighteningly so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> for, since uh, January 1st, 2012, actually. 2012. Yeah, so, so almost ten, 10 years. Yeah, almost 10 years. That's, that's amazing. So you've seen a lot in the recovery community um, as far as you know, drug laws and policies. This has to be something different that you might tell us. Did you ever expect that we would see this? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, starting January 1st of 2012, no. Um, but clearly through what we've been seeing over the last, I think, five years, mm-hmm. once we saw the states out West uh, legalizing uh, marijuana, and then of course, you know, the idea of what we've been hearing uh, from the from the public about wanting to uh, to legalize recreational marijuana so it's being treated like alcohol. And um, when I saw that movement, I was expecting that something would, you know, something would change. And then, of course, when the Democrats took control of the General Assembly, they made that very clear that that was a priority. You know, I don't think nobody argues with the need to have, you know, legalized use for over 21. And of course, you know, that opens up new territory, I guess, for prevention and taxation and resources. And of course, you know, there's going to be a shift in addiction, I'm sure. You know, I don't think it'll be worse. I'm quite sure it's going to actually be a little bit better because I know historically one drug replaced another. But if you got a less harmful drug replacing a more harmful substance, then there's got to be a pretty good effect and impact there. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're hearing from uh, that I've been paying attention to what's happening out West is the notion that perhaps there's going to be a push to regulate the potency of the THC. So right now there is, because this is literally brand new and we of course haven't established our marketing yet in the Commonwealth, uh, the notion of how much THC should be in a particular uh, product. Um, and so I, you know, I think the, what we've heard is, is there sometimes there can be up to 30% and which is pretty significant yeah. THC. And so, uh, while we are watching, um, like that could be part of the dialogue when we talk about marketing, about what they're going to allow the stores to sell in terms of the, the amount of THC, like capping the, uh, the amount. So, uh, I'm watching that. Uh, I'm also, you know, trying to figure out about how that potency, uh, pertains to certain um, 
certain of these really extreme reactions we've seen with people who have un been uh, under the influence of THC. When I say extreme, you know, we hear about people who have been kind of in like a, a psychotic, so to speak, right. state. Right. You can smoke it till you go into psychosis. Exactly. And so, you know, for me, for public safety and for the health of well-being of, of individuals, we want to make sure. So like when you're drinking alcohol, you know if you're getting... 14% in your wine, or if you're going to go full-blown uh, totally brain alcohol. Agree, yeah. let, like let, me, let, me, proof let, me, let me throw a, a notion out at you just so, you know, we've had some real weed experts on here in the last year or yeah. so. And what I've discovered was that number one, higher THC, lower THCs might get you higher than higher THCs. Number two, some strains of plants are, are good for, mental illnesses some are good for anxiety some are good for depression however some plants are terrible for anxiety so i think this will evolve as time goes on right and we'll know what plants are good and what not but i want to throw you a quick curveball here <laughs> it's just starting and, off and, straight yeah <laughs> right off you, the bat you know and this is an important one i don't like like i want to talk about probation parole okay I don't think everybody on probation parole, if you're not an addict, if you don't have a substance use disorder, you certainly should be allowed to drink alcohol while you're on probation and parole. So you should be allowed to smoke weed if you're 21 and older, if, as long as you're not in a drug court or if you're not, you don't have right. a substance use disorder. Is there any discussion with that particular wheelhouse? Oh, my gosh. Um <laughs> With everything else we've been discussing <laughs> regarding probation and violations, uh, that's something that I have not been able to uh, to find out the answer, only because I literally have not asked that question again with everything else going on. But I think that's a good point. You know, the idea being that if you're just somebody who's on probation for having, you know, stole something from a store or, you know, something else. Unrelated not, to substance use unrelated disorder. Unrelated to substance use disorder. Um if it's if it's leave if it's lawful to to use to then it and should have it not right it should not be a technical violation just like alcohol if you were to consume alcohol that would not be a technical violation but it'd be important to say if you are mandated to a recovery program Absolutely. if you're not you're supposed to abstain from get high drugs right. now they're all going to want to run out and get a weed card you know <laughs> medical marijuana <laughs> Yes. This is one curveball after another here. So. Well, you know, and the medical marijuana aspect is uh, making sure that you have, you know, you have doctors who are knowledgeable about the medical use and the medicinal, um, you know, benefits, effect, benefits right. uh, for whatever your diagnosis is. And I, I understand that um, at least when we were talking about the, uh, the approving of the medical marijuana two sessions, I think it was two sessions ago. There was talk about making sure that your primary care physician had that knowledge. Uh, so now, again, going forward, are we going to want to make sure that when you are getting your medical card, that you're getting the authorization from an approved uh, approved doctor who has an addiction that specialist, an perhaps? addiction specialist, right? And you know, or something of the nature that you've got somebody who does know, you know, does know their THC. I mean, I used to. I used to be kind of, um, I guess, snarky when I would say, you know, when I'm going to a weed shop out in Colorado, why am I going to rely on, you know, James to say, you need the white oleander for this, or you need the purple <laughs> the pur haze for that. Kush, right. man. It's because like, I'm like, dude, other than, uh, you know, you growing it or you've been smoking right. it, like, how do you know what's really good for me? Right. Because we also talk about the impact, just like with any other, you know, mood altering substance, anything like that. 
it depends on the person who's using it, right? So the same, you might, we might use the same product, but the impact it might, the effect it has on you will not necessarily be the same effect. A lot of signs to evolve from exactly. this. And I'm excited about that. Nathan, I know you're itching over there. Well, and you know, as we talk about this, of course, you know, adult use uh, legalization is for 21 and up here right. in, in Virginia. And, you know, I see this as an incredible opportunity for individuals who do discover or do have, you know, and already have discovered that they have an, a, a substance use disorder um, to reduce the stigma and the possibility of involvement in the criminal justice system gives that removes that barrier to access to recovery. And I, that's one of the reasons I support the legalizations and I, I have supported what I'm concerned with, you know, and, I, and you can speak on this, but I, I know this really isn't on you necessarily, but we talk about youth justice right. and individuals under 21. And it's, it's similar, I guess, to alcohol. And I don't know, you know, I didn't, I don't, I don't have the breakdown of what the law is, but we're still going to be arresting youth who are going to be involved with marijuana use. And, and the issue of course, is the same issue that was brought up with the legalization. When we talk about the disparity between black and brown people being arrested versus white people being arrested. Now we're still going to continue to disproportionately arrest black and brown youth. You're, you're projecting. It well, ain't happened yet, but it, you think it's going to happen like that. Yeah. Well, okay, so Historically, got, it would. You've got this, now you've got this age group of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds 20, 20 because they're clearly under 21. Right. And the question is, you know, how, how are they going to be treated? Well, it's still just a civil penalty. It's still the $25. Mm -hmm. I think- um, Even for the underage kids. And then for the underage kids, right. Except for the underage kids, if you're under 18, also has a component of wanting you to, to be referred to counseling and all that good Engagement stuff. Period. Engagement period. Right. But let's be honest again, for for the young people who are using, you know, and I know this from being uh, involved with Too Smart to Start, which is our youth advocacy education prevention program in Henrico and working with Henrico schools and the, uh, and the surveys that they have done, uh, the notion that a child using you know, a mood altering substance is really something about something bigger. Mm -hmm. And so we shouldn't just be saying, oh, it's a $25, you know, fine and go get counseling. You know, anytime there's a youth who's engaging in what we call quote unquote unlawful behavior is because there's something really else going on. And of course, I've always been a big proponent of wanting to understand you know, the underlying issue for our children, uh, for our youth as to why they engage in certain behavior. So for me, it would be, let's not just, you know, call this a fine and call it a day. Like we really need to know what's going on in this child's life and how we can best. Well, you, you know, well, I do when kids hit high school, they hit puberty, right. you know, you're going to have some people, some children, they're going to really have some deep emotional, high on the ACEs score, trauma in their life. Absolutely. So when they get high product hits their brain, they're going to think, oh my God, this is a solution to my trauma. Exactly. But then you got the curiosity seekers and, you know, the ones that want to pound their chest and be the brightest peacock on the playground. It's two different, I think, two different segments of usage, you know. Right. You know, so one would really have a mental, or more of a mental condition, one versus a behavior. And that's just, that's good for the prevention people to know that difference. And, right. And, and in the courtroom. But, you know, now also, you know, you've heard of M MRT, MAT, you know, medication replacement therapy. You know, the, the medical marijuana is going to be big in the recovering community. It's going to be big in sober living, recovery houses. And have y'all given some thought to what that might look like or how you're going to approach that? No, but I think, <laughs> I 
again, let's see, what time is it? It's like <laughs> <laughs> we are we are 14 hours into our, our first day. So um, I don't know, but John, I think that's a really, really good point and is something that as we, you know, move forward in speaking with our treatment providers, we need to have that conversation. So when we're when we're having our, you know, whether it be with the recovery residences, whether it be with Henrico Mental Health, whether it be within drug court, like you're absolutely right. We need to figure out if this is going to be an, an accepted, you know, an accepted practice, and it does have the again Benefit. proven medical benefits. Then how are we going to maneuver that going forward? So well, I, I know we we you know I know I'm personally offering technical assistance to any sober home in in America, but specifically in Virginia, if you're going to have a weed house or a greenhouse, you know I would certainly like to be able to survey that and help you with technical advice on some do's and don'ts and how right. to how what protocols, policies, and procedures should look like, but definitely what obvious relapse looks like, and you know just get high seekers look like right, so. Right. So I'm excited to be one of those collaborators and subject matter experts in that space. So moving forward, as, as your groups and organizations gather, you know, keep that in mind. You know, you don't have to be alone trying to figure this stuff out. Oh, no. I mean, you know me. I've never been one to try to solve a problem by myself no. anyway. It always, it always requires, a, you know, a multi-departmental, multi-subject matter expert collaboration. Yeah. Now, now, what's your feel from the uh, public safety providers with this? Well, I think one of the concerns that I had expressed, um, that I have expressed publicly, is the driving while impaired. Did, right. So, uh, right now, uh, what and I'm sure I don't, I, I regret that I did not listen to Jean Michel, uh, <laughs> Jim Michel, excuse me, uh, yesterday on Tuesday, because she is definitely an expert. They are an expert. They are, yes, and she's, you know, and she has done really great. Like I'll tell you, she is, has, as soon as she got into that position, has been, you know, coming to me and saying, you know, Shannon, what can I do to educate you more on, you know, marijuana? And I really, really appreciate that she has, you know, put herself out there and, and has been very. Uh, very much about uh, wanting to educate people. So that's new to me too. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so the idea being, so I had, I've had these conversations about the driving while impaired and the notion being that any of the experts, if they have come to speak about this is the idea of testing. So we know with alcohol, there is a, you know, and a reliable, quote unquote, quote unquote uh, reliable PBT. They say it's reliable. Reli yes, I got I said, DUI quote, unquote. 79 and I blew drunk, <laughs> but I was stone cold sober, man. So, so like, you know, we get that you have that preliminary breath test there on the road and then you go down to take, right. you know, the, the test down. At the, Cognitive. Exactly. Uh, uh, and then all the field sobriety tests. Right. So, you know, we have some mechanism, which is which is why states have been able to, you know, delineate whether it's 0.08 or 0.1 to be your BAC level to be quote unquote impaired or not impaired. Now, and that's done because the way that alcohol is metabolized, it comes, it's on the spit. So it's in the, the saliva. THC, of course, is metabolized in the blood. So if you want to get a reading of THC, it has to be done through a blood draw. Uh, which for anybody who has, you know, either seen a traffic stop or been involved in a traffic stop for impaired driving, it's not like that happens in 30 minutes. It is a process that, you know, takes as much as, you know, like two to three hours. And the notion of when to get that blood draw uh, and 
and how quickly, you know, since the time the person ingested the THC, you know, the immediate ingestion has the highest point of THC and then the THC level drops quickly, but the impairment is, you know, kicking in. So the question is, you know, some of these states out West have been dealing with the, should it be 0.03, you know, should it be something else? Or they have come up with a, just a block it, which I call the per se. It is per se unlawful. You cannot smoke and operate a vehicle at the same time, which for public safety makes it really, really easy. But obviously then, you know, some concerns and getting to a point that Nathan um, said earlier about the, you know, the kind of the criminal justice, the inequities response that this law is supposed to be trying to, you know, to cure there are some who still believe, well, if you do it that way and it's just per se, how do we know that we're still not going to have more African-Americans being pulled on the road versus, you know, well, white? This is how you can tell. So I'm, I got that already solved. When you start seeing them show up in court here in the next 90 days right. with, with how many people are showing up for too many seeds, too many ounces, too many plants. You know, if you, if you get, you know, check, you got you got to think about that. Well, I can, you know, there's a, like, there's a lot of things going on there. And in terms of priority, um, I think that it's important that your listeners know that we got bigger fish to fry than yes, to know whether do. or not you've got, you bought four seeds or 10 <laughs> seeds or however many seeds you got. We are really, and I'm not going to speak for chief English, but you know, from my perspective, we are really trying to focus on the, you know, what can be the potential harm aspect of, of use and not trying to get into the semantics of, you know, the, the, who gave who, what, at what time. Um, I, I will say this too, you know, the way that this law was, um, was carved out and I'm going to say carved out because literally there's three different timelines that are being utilized right. in this new, in this new law. <laughs> You know, you've got the three components that are effective today. Then there's the reenactment for the next level in 2022. And then you've got the next level, which is in 2024, when we're talking about the, you know, the capitalism aspect of it, the marketing aspect of it. And anything can happen between today, July 1st, oh, 2021, yeah. and January of 2024. So, you know, and, and if there's anything that shifts and changes between that time that deviates from what is written here today, you know, that's going to be a lot to keep up with for the public. Um, so it's, you know, that's why I don't want to worry about like, you know, uh, do, do you have your name tag on the plant? I'm like, I don't care if you have the name tag on the plant. Like, <laughs> I forgot about that little rule. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't care about that. Um, but I, I will say this too, you know, the idea, um, with law enforcement, you know, this is a situation where while, you know, while I may not, you know, care that, you know, John Doe is smoking a joint in, even though it's unlawful on the sidewalk, you know, or walking through Dory park, the reality is, is that they need to know that there are people who do care and those people will be calling the police. And so police are going to have to respond because that's what they do. And uh, I mean, and I'm going to, you know, stand behind law enforcement that, that if the citizens, you know, call them out, they have a job to do. And so what we don't want to see is we don't want to see that, you know, dissolve into a disastrous situation, but we are going to have to, you know, keep an eye out for that as we move forward. Well, I, I predict that it won't be as big a deal as people fear. That's good. I predict that fear 
the fear, the word fear is going to be, you know, false evidence appearing real, you know. Right. So I think 90 days from now, six months from now, you'll have a trickle of cases coming through the courtroom, but a lot of them will be a whole lot to do about nothing, you know. And and I really hope, John, that you're right about that. And I would support that notion that this is, you know, it's not the chicken little, like the sky is falling. Um, so. Nathan, what's up, buddy? Well, and and I'm glad you brought the, the public consumption up um, in your conversation because it is important to note what is actually legal here. It is not legal. It is not lawful to be able to smoke or consume in public. It Correct. is in the privacy of your own home or a friend's home with with you know over 21 right but eventually um, it probably will be because you can drink in public so i think by 2024 well tr well you can't drink in public like me just walking down the road we're yeah, not but in New Orleans. A, but in a restaurant <laughs> an, out, an outdoor yes, eating you, area right. which is of course an area that's regulated by abc right so i think there'll right. be outdoor smoking areas probably. that's possible yes yeah I, and i could see that like in a musical festival you, you can like you can that. grow grapes on Hi, the Debbie. side of the road where people can see it Oh yeah, you know Debbie, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is is illegal to consume marijuana in public. It is it, it will remain illegal for anyone under the age of twenty one to consume, purchase, or possess. So so we don't have rec, um, uh, retail marijuana here yet in Virginia. Right. So so how are people getting their weed right now? <laughs> That's how are really... people smoking right now? <laughs> the weed fairy. Um, came I, think, overnight. I think the answer is always Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that does it does because I I actually. What 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 are the laws about transporting state to state? Like if you I go to if I go to DC, it's it's unlawful. It is unlawful. Yeah. So I can't I can't go to DC, load up on brownies, and come back to no. Richmond. But a passenger pigeon doing his regular <laughs> run can drop. Yeah, seeds but that off. drone that everyone's buying right now on Amazon. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Um, and and to be clear, so it's it. Forgive me. Let's see. It's it's your law. It's lawful to carry up to an ounce. Mm -hmm. On your as, as on, yes. on your person that right? is now that is considered to be personal use. Personal yeah. use that and that is a but, but not in a car. It's got to be in the trunk if exactly. it's in your car. Got to be in the trunk. Okay, and you are. How does the pound? So 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 I get okay. So up to a pound, if you is have it? beyond an ounce, up to a pound, it's a twenty five dollar fine. But beyond a pound, you're it, a felon. It, it, business as usual. It, because at that point, you're distributing. You're distributing. Right. Okay, right. So, so distribution still. A, against the law. Yes. And this, I think this is also something that's really important um, that I regret uh, isn't getting kind of like, probably, I, I think it's not getting enough attention, but you know, the reality is, is that we've had more homicides and robberies surrounding marijuana deals than any yeah, other that's a cash unlawful. business to be for robbing these guys. Yeah, and you know, and that can we, you know, I don't want to jump ahead, but like then you also talk about the black market, right. and you know, that is still a thing and, and out that, in Colorado. Yeah, and yeah, and that won't go away until until twenty twenty four when they really fix this stuff. Well, let me tell you about that. So the notion um, about the tax. Now remember, in twenty twenty four, these these lawful retail shops are going to be taxing 40%? Yeah, if it's cheaper to do black market weed, like exactly. California, you could have a right. problem like that. So, so for example, you know, while I am respecting the fact that, you know, we are all about capitalism and that's really great. Interestingly enough, we don't really treat marijuana like alcohol because right. our alcohol is done through the state. Right. And the state, of course, does not have to have the ability to tax as much as, you know, as a corporation does because corporations there to make money. 
um, as is a state. But for example, I think that the state, if the if ABC were to get into the business of selling marijuana, that it would be it could be at a much lower tax rate uh, than what. Um, well, you got a six tier system for exact, the, and that yeah. that six levels of taxation, which might push them out of the zone of the black market pot market. Well, yeah. So we just we got to figure out what that's going to look like. Well, tell um, the bureaucrats don't get so greedy. The politicians don't get so greedy. You know, let let people grow and sell it just like you might a bottle of wine. Yeah, but everyone's trying to yeah, find a way money. to <laughs> yeah make money. <laughs> yeah, well, I, re I remember those conversations concerning tax and looking at what happened in California and, and in the West and and what we were going to do here. And and my understanding is we kind of came in around high middle of what other states were doing. Is that I, do, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I don't know what the tax rate yeah. is out there. I was I was more concerned with where the money was going to go, that revenue. And so, you know, if you look at what ended up happening, the carve out, you know, especially that 25% that goes to, well, originally it was supposed to go to people like us, but now is going to DBHDS to go to fine still, but, you know, going to CSBs to do prevention and treatment work. So now we need to ensure that that money actually does go to treatment and prevention work. Well, I actually thought the marijuana's, I thought that was going to schools. Most there's, there's, of a there's a 40 i think it's 40 percent goes to the schools 25 okay. percent goes to csb yeah csbs gotcha gotcha okay, um, i, I, I forget where the rest goes yeah. yeah well the localities get some and then the education gets some csbs get some and probably and they got that diversity fund to get some i mean it, it they definitely got it divvied up pretty right. good yeah the um but but i but now now a little word of i would say observation i noticed seems to me like a group of people want to put their best foot forward and make sure this thing rolls out and we, and we get the best result and outcome. And then there's other groups that are still kind of stuck in the old thinking that ain't never going to work. We got to keep hammering away. I mean, do you, do you see the political fight dwindling or is it going to stay smoking Whoa. hot for a while? Well, I think uh, if anyone's paying attention that we have an election in November and looking to see what the, you know, the statewide campaigns are saying, um, I uh, understand that uh, the Republican Party definitely wants to make this marijuana legalization a thing. They want that to be part of their campaign. campaign. Right. So, you know, and they have, you know, vowed that if they take back the house in November, that they're going to turn all of these, you know, laws back. Um, so, you know, it is being talked about in, you know, in two different ways. Um, you know, when I talked about it from the public safety standpoint, you know, we just, we just want to make sure, and I said this, that if, if this was the track that we were going to do, it needed to be done in an organized and purposeful fashion. And I think people are concerned about whether or not, because of this kind of three-tiered approach, um, whether or not, you know, is this going to be like everything else where you're going to have bumps in the road as you move forward? And they'll, we, and they'll we kind of figure things. Yeah, sure. there'll be growing pains. And some of that's to be expected. And, that, and that's not a reason to be against something. Right. Um, the question is just like, you know, do we feel like we have enough guidance to kind of maneuver through those bumps in the road. <laughs> yeah, you always got to watch out for the spoilers. People sabotage, you know, what could be a pretty good thing. Right, right. Yeah. You know, well, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I'm, I'm tired of watching these people get their life ruined with criminal justice problems, community problems. Right. And I'm also excited that we can do some good work in the recovery industry as a result of this. And I'm excited about we have a new medication now that can help with addiction. Right. 
And I'm excited that, that we got some people out there that are working hard to get the right strains, the right THC level, get them lined up with the right ailments and illnesses. And, uh, you know, I, I've never yet met a kid that died from smoking weed, you know, and I've never met a parent yet that wouldn't rather their child be smoking pot than buried because of an opiate overdose. And then we got a lot of real science and data coming out, but you still got a lot of, you know, left wing, right wing data and science that, that right. either isn't real, you know, like some of it, you know, we need some real science, some real Absolutely. data. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Nate, what's up, buddy? Well, you, you bring up, you know, probation and, and criminal justice system. And, you know, there, there are, and I tried to get some figures before the show of, of who, how many people in Virginia are locked up on marijuana charges, cannabis charges. And it's, you know, without going FOIA and without doing some really deep research, that's not really my bag. You know, it, it, I can't see that number, but I know, right. we know, you know, we know. A lot of, a lot of people got violated and went back to prison because right. of the pot. And, 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 and the original still, charges might not have been weed, right, but that's right. what got them up there. Right. That's what they don't count. They don't count it like so, that. So right. the, the, I, I believe there was an effort when the bill was, you know, being thrown around in the, in the general assembly to, to, to fix that situation, but I know that didn't pass. So, you know, what efforts do we need to go, you know, forward, moving forward to A, you know, help the people who are caught up in the criminal justice system on a violation or even still serving time for an original charge or, well, and, you know, getting more, more moving towards expungement of these charges, which, you know, the, the people might have in the past. Right. So, you know, the expungement, now that's, I can definitely talk about that. Um, because like I said earlier, like when it, well, actually, let me just go ahead and talk about the probation aspect of things. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I have not um, seen anything yet from the governor's administration. Uh, you know, the, you know, Secretary Brian Moran under his, um, under his uh, branch, I call it branch, but like under his group, he has the Department of Corrections who oversees probation and parole. And I have not, you know, heard from from my uh, probation officer, District 32, about how they're going to treat, I, and if she she probably has told me, and I literally have probably forgotten, but that's something, you know, I'll follow up on today to figure out, like, do, have they received any guidance? And then the other part of that, too, is that your probation office is, you know, the the eyes and ears of the court, so to speak. I mean, a circuit court judge has put somebody on probation for whatever reason they feel necessary. And so to the extent that you have judges who might feel like they still want to know if someone is tested positive for marijuana, then that probation office will, will respond in kind to that. It won't necessarily be a technical violation, but it may be something that a judge still wants to know. I have no idea if that's really happening or if everyone's going to take, you know, if all the judges in Virginia are going to say, this is now lawful to, you know, to use and therefore it will no longer be a technical violation. Like I said, I'm going to get back to you guys on that. Yeah. The expungement part, however, is something that is uh, really important. Um, and so that's part of that delayed. <laughs> we had a, we had a CLE. I've, I tell everybody I've got my uh, cheat sheet here. Um, so <laughs> we actually had the prosecutors uh, group association had a, like a little crash course CLE on marijuana about two weeks ago, I think it was for two hours. We talked about it. Oof. And, you know, there's, there's two things happening. There's the expungement, which we're calling it quote unquote expungement, but there's, it's really a sealing of people's records, mm. which is a bill that was signed into law, but it doesn't go, come into effect until I think 2024. 
And that's to give state police the time to get the right software so that when records come through from the circuit court clerk's office to state police, they're not going to be wasting you know hours and hours to doing something by hand that they can actually just you know, press a button and do. Hmm. With this marijuana and knowing that we have the legalization of simple possession, yeah. Do I think that so that should be something that is automatic? Absolutely. Um, is this something that, you know, that state police are prepared to do quite yet? Probably I don't not. probably not. No. But, you know, to the extent that we have the ability to present something to the court and say, look, this is no longer, you know, this is no longer a violation, just like we did with habitual offender. Y'all remember that old driving charge mm -hmm. from back in the day? Then it should be removed somebody's from somebody's record. They shouldn't have any, you know, simple possession on anybody's record. Of course, um, if you're being issued a summons, that won't be on your record anyway, because you've never, when you got a summons, they don't fingerprint you. So that's, and that's the stuff that goes to state police to put you in the system to actually have a record. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know uh, what those requests will look like to my office starting to, you know, starting today or tomorrow. Um, but we're going to be paying attention to that. And, uh, and we'll look to see what else is going on in that person's re you know, record, but it should at the very least be sealed at the very most be expunged. You know, I want to, I want to just remind the listeners that if you're in recovery and you're, and you're in, a, in the type of recovery process I'm in and Nathan's in and, abstinent is your route you know you still you still got to be abstinent just because they legalize <laughs> pot don't mean you can go out there and do bong hits so no. don't right. even put that in your psychic but with that being said uh do do, do you are you gonna smoke weed do, do you smoke it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um the answer is i'm not gonna be smoking it no uh, Ooh, I, mean, for I like for my I like my wine a whole lot. All right, all right that's cool. <laughs> I have my vices. Uh, how, how about any any other prosecutors in your office talking about it? They can't wait um, to fire up. Okay. I know they're there. Uh, well, well, so let's talk about that. So we saw the article in the paper where some of the uh, big corporations have said that they're not allowing that to happen in their offices. In their offices. Right. So, um, you know, that's lawsuit waiting to happen. Isn't well. It? It depends. I mean, I think it depends on what they're saying. Well, is federal, federal agencies can have a, a past, but not right. private. So, but so I have, uh, I've got two of my you know close girlfriends from college. We were just talking about right. it this last weekend, and they both said, yeah, we got a notice saying you can't do that. Um, I was on a text change with some of my, uh, you know, I'm part of that Virginia Progressive Prosecutors for Justice. And we were, someone asked a question saying, does anybody have a, a policy? Well, you know, I mean, we are technically employees of Henrico County. I mean, even though I'm an elected official. Yeah, can and Henrico people, employees? But Henrico, please? well, we're going to wait to see. I think I, I've been told that there will be a county policy or some type of notification about what county, what, what county employees can do. Um, and I think that, you know, here's the other part of that. Prosecutors are, you know, technically we should be held to a little bit of a different standard. Um, and, you know, and we are not going to be prosecuting anybody for, you know, something that's now legal. But I also need to make well, sure that help. when you come into my office, you're, you're you know, ready you to do to, your yeah, job. Yeah. Like, I don't want you having the effects of last night's, you know, well, that's joke back, fest. That's back to the impairment piece. But, you know, right. like if I was a prosecutor and smoke weed, I, I'd be firing up a bong after work. You know, I wouldn't really worry about it. And, and I think all across Virginia, that, that that is now right in the law. Well, you know, we have 
Now you don't want you don't want people smoking weed before they go on duty to drive an ambulance, right. a fire truck, an right. airplane, a bus. I get all that, you know, and then and and but to throw the baby out with the bathwater, saying, "Look, we don't know how to gauge or monitor to see if you're crossed the line or not." That's like you know, build the plane as you fly it type well, stuff. I'm having a staff meeting uh, next week, so I'll let you know what the decision is. <laughs> Y'all gonna take a group conscious? Look, you get no smoking weed past eleven o'clock at night before a trial. We'll we'll send you a tray of desserts, <laughs> <laughs> lots of brownies. <laughs> that was something that came up today. They were like, someone said. So what happens if you're at a party and you don't know that you're you're eating the, the hot brownies? Well, we, I'm like, we, well. we we use that in the Marine Corps when we go home on leave, man. I didn't know, Colonel. They, right. they, it was a weed brownie. Tough, man. Article fifteen. <laughs> well, so so this this has been a huge step, you know, for for better drug policy here in Virginia, right? And I know that there are some things happening, you know, in in Henrico County, the the drug diversion. What is it? facility that, that's being oh, built. the detox. The well, detox, well. yeah, facility. And, and so that's, what, a few years down the road. Oh, well, oh, I think... Is it? Oh, I think it should be done by end of next year. Like, I think that so there they're are... They're building it now. Con- they broke yeah. ground. Well, I don't... I don't... I- I confess that I don't know. I do think I just remember them talking about like, you know, putting the RFP out and then the, you know, having the contract. Did they find a doctor yet or a provider? I, that has not been shared with me yet. I I, I, I know. I'm sorry. I I know blindsiding you with things that we didn't talk about beforehand, but, um, the, the idea of where we're going with drug policy here in Virginia and moving towards, you know, hopefully moving towards a better, um, less, less in, Mental health, health care. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, I. OK. Yeah. So this is something that I am really uh, focused on. So, you know, John, is, we're always part of different types of, you know, work groups that are out mm. there. And uh, we saw last session that Delegate Hudson, Sally Hudson from Charlottesville, put in a like a D. Uh, decriminalization, or maybe it maybe just defelonization, reclassification, reclassification yeah. of, of, sche- yeah. Yeah, of schedule one and schedule two drugs. Use your amount. Yeah. And there is also um, what's happening now. The national trend is really going to a harm reduction focus. And so like I Portugal, the Portugal model. Um, well, and I confess, I don't know. Well, you Google Portugal. Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. So the, but, um, but I've, and I've had conversations with friends in other states that are talking about right. like the harm reduction model. And that is something that Virginia is talking about. But the question is, you know, what conversations were happening prior to the pandemic and where right. can we pick up those conversations now? Um, so I feel like that we are recognizing more and more about the public health aspect of substance use disorder and, um, and, and, but looking to see how we balance that with public safety. And I feel like, you know, that 50, 50% is really more like 70, 30. Like, I think it's definitely got, it's definitely more the public health aspect, but you know, we are Virginia. We take a long time to, to change things. And um, and so there's uh, there's right now still, a, you know, a component of public safety part of the conversations. And, you know, you've got people who are, um, I think we should recognize that while people may be coming to court for other offenses other than, you know, drug charges, but they committed those offenses because of you some know, reason some related, reason related to, to addiction related. Exactly. So that what, we need to have resources still in the criminal justice system 
to help those individuals. So how's the um, flow of fentanyl into the community going? Is it strong as ever, slowing down? It, no, spurts? it's bad. It is bad. It's really bad. Um, and we are also seeing uh, an increase in uh, meth. Yeah. Because now what used to be, you know, cooked in the, quote unquote, as we used to say, cooked in the trailer park, uh, because that was the stereotype, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago, uh, well, Mexican cartels have taken care of that. They're like, hey, we'll cook it down here and they, send it up. They got pipelines. And they've got major, yeah. major pipelines. Do, do, uh, do y'all still do like multi-jurisdictional raids and busts and... So that's really more of like that's the DEA, DEA task. Stuff. Yeah. So nothing like that's on a local situation. No, no information you want to give us now. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard so, it here first. First, so, folks. So let's speak locally for a minute. You know, I have noticed a trend in Henrico. Last couple of years, they've been very serious. They've had some great conversations and discussions. I personally feel they could have done a lot more toward, you know, helping with the recovery piece in the community with the non-government organization but nonetheless you know they, they listen you know uh you, you may or may not know we now have uh, tony mcdowell on our board of directors which is the public safety um deputy yes. manager for Enrico. we're glad to have him here and uh, a lot easier to get hold of somebody but but he, <laughs> but he, was, he was always accessible but i but i don't want you're right you mentioned covid and a lot of things shifted during COVID. a lot of pivots took place but I do want to pick up where we were before COVID hit. You know, we had a strong momentum going. Absolutely. You know, we were looking for strong support to our community from the decision makers. And, uh, you know, and, and I understand of the complications with COVID. But there's a ton of revenue coming from the, the you know, the COVID money they're going right. to talk about in August. And all these counties, uh, the block grant just got doubled. So the CSBs will get double the money, but I still don't see these agencies really trying to, you know, send some dollars down to us. I mean, you know how valuable we are. Well, yeah. And, and obviously I can't speak to, to all of that, but what I think is um, where the conversation needs to go to is where are we lacking our capacity, you know, so because right now we talk about what happens about, you know, someone overdosing, they go to the ER, they're streeted within what, 24 hours, <laughs> usually usually two hours, yeah. man, you're yeah. alive. Can you walk? See you later. Exactly. And so, you know, we, we always talk about points of contact in a system, like a, whether it be a missed opportunities missed for engagement and we talk about the continuum of care. Right. And so we need just like, as, as, you know that I'm a huge fan of you guys. I'm a huge fan of the recovery community. However, I feel like there are so many other things that are actually non-existent. So like this idea that why is there not a detox facility? Like why yeah. do we been right. going well, on? Well, all news this flash. <laughs> when I got clean in 82, every hospital in Richmond had a detox center right. and they took you in and, and they kept you for 30 days and you were linked into the community when you got out. And, and where did that go? Well, went to the criminal justice system. They did it away with reimbursement. Because it was the war against drugs. That's right. Well, we're, we're here. We're available. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't street nobody over here. Right. We were open 365 days when, when a lot of providers were closed. Matter of fact, guys were coming to McShin saying, hey, the jail wouldn't take me. I got violated, but they wouldn't take me. I got nowhere to go. Well, you come into one of our recovery houses, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that, you know, there needs to be, um, there needs to be, we need to fix the system involving our hospitals and we need to re-engage what was, 
what was per, what was ha was happening in the city of Richmond, but reengaging the uh, the NGO response to somebody who has gone to the ER for an overdose, get the, you know, get the volunteers to come help, you know, convey the information of like, this is where you can go. We've got a bed for you right now, you know, blah, 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 blah. We, we, we got that, but the, you know, but there, but who's calling you from the hospital? Nobody. Exactly. You know what I mean? right. Or who's funding <laughs> us to go over and get these people. Right. And that's what I'm yeah. talking about. And then I think also, um, you know, when we talk about the detox, if back in the day it used to be the hospital, so now we're going to have to have these facilities and, the facility we have for Henrico has 30 beds Man, and it's I, a I mentioned that in an editorial. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, what's going to happen in Chesterfield and Hanover and Richmond? Cause by the way, people are not just overdosing in Henrico County. And then the other thing about like what is needed for, for that true, uh, for the individual who actually needs inpatient services and how we help with, you know, the housing, you know, getting state like because they stay at your place, but when they are ready to leave there, where's the next housing thing, and where's the next housing placement, and then you know, getting the jobs, um, and trying to figure out like you know oh, what the co like the and the continuum of care, and are we talking about uh, you know it's not the same model for people with co-occurring uh, disorders as well as what's going on with uh, with women. And the trauma that a lot of women are, have been incurring and like they need an additional element. Those are the conversations that we need to talk about and start having now because well, I started them in 2000. Yeah. Well, we're gonna, we got <laughs> we're like, we got to get like, yeah. first of all, we're paying attention now, which yeah. is the good news. Is and second true. of all, we, you know, we need to start the conversations again as we are, you know, getting the pandemic under control. Well, you know, July marks 17 years of McShin in operation. 17 years of this non-governmental organizational response. And, you know, if anything, the COVID, you know, COVID-19 has, has, has underscored the value of us being here. Because as John Correct. said, we were here 365 days. We never locked the doors, never shut the doors. We remained open while, you know, people trying to get in at CSBs or, you know, get funding or whatever through governmental organizations were shut out and still continue to be shut out as, as the response, you know, continues. What are we going to do when we go to the General Assembly and we say, hey, because this happened the last two years, you know, the bill to get better effective you know, responses to substance use related emergencies. When we go there and say, hey, we need funding, we need to have a, a coordinated response, we need to have individuals in there with lived experience, we can't be just treating and treating. And the only thing we can get out of the General Assembly, and we're talking a blue General Assembly right now, the only thing we were able to get out this past year was a Here's a list of things you can do, and we well they did get a little var money, they did oh, get a little hit there for the sober home people, but right. but they they jacked that up in the department. They play hard to get out the department. Yeah, but I mean, what what you're saying right. though, having yeah. these having you know certified peer recovery specialists right. in the emergency departments, you know, I would oh, love to yeah. do that. Okay. I well, would <laughs> love to do that. Hey, that's a good question. We're, well, for we're, you. so that you are touching on something that was part of a conversation I was involved in just yesterday, which is this idea that the, you know, the defined term of a peer recovery specialist and where they're able to work, hospitals won't take them, right? right? Because of the liability, quote unquote, which is baloney. And then- BS. You know, <laughs> some bullshit. Baloney supreme. <laughs> and then, you know, we're talking about, you know, the idea of having- having the specialists go with law enforcement. Like, remember that was yeah, something right that, along. The right they're along. They're great. Richmond was doing that. Yeah. Even and in Chesterfield. When, when we were doing that happening. 35 years ago. Right. 
But so again, the idea about having someone who is out there with law enforcement to be able to help, you know, when they encounter somebody who is having a problem, right. having somebody who can, can, can talk to that individual. Because again, back to what you're saying, people who have actually been through recovery and are going through recovery are the ones who are the best, you know, best communicators. So that is absolutely true. And then the, and the notion about how we're funding stuff, I mean, don't even get me started on that. Mm -hmm. I have been, I have been a very loud voice about the failure of this Commonwealth funding the public health aspect like of mental health. And I think you can go ahead and put substance use disorder in that same bucket for, I don't know why we have not done a good job. Um, but there is, you know, uh, Director in the department head, Director Allison Land, who gives this report saying we are at 99% capacity at some of our, of our state hospitals and 60% staffing. Because they will lose heads and beds in the criminal justice system. They, they, those those <laughs> hawks don't want to lose the customers. The lawyers don't want to lose the business. The law schools don't want to lose the students. Robert had a good question up there. Yes. Put Robert's question yeah, back I up saw there that. About, that was a good question. About the drug courts. Okay, well, let's let's talk about that. So when, um, you know, there are certain programs that have been documenting their success. And when I talk about that continuum of care, we're talking about somebody who can stay in long-term recovery for, you know, for 12 months doing the step-down process and then being, you know, and then being a part of it for another 12 months. So like that 18 to 24 months. And one entity said that they had a 75% success rate when someone was able to go that long with their long-term recovery. The reason why, you know, we, I see here this 58%. So the start don't finish. The, right. So Robert said, so there's a couple things going on out there. First off um, with the drug courts that are in existence, like Henrico, they are probation violation based drug courts. Um, there are more that are show cause based than there are new convictions, which is why Henrico created a new path <laughs> that you didn't have to have a conviction in order to have like the services offered from, you know, from drug courts, so to speak. And the idea that, um, that, we, that people may not be completing drug court if it's on probation violation has a lot to do too with your the the circuit court judges that are handling those drug courts and what they are doing. Now everybody, uh, every judge who is doing drug courts are committed to the success of of you know of their participants. But you know, to the question, if they don't succeed, where do they go? I regret that they do go to jail because at that point they are in violation of their of their suspended sentence. And, um, and his next question about, you know, is reclassifying going to impact that? Yeah, I can tell you that, that uh, when people heard first of Delegate Hudson's bill, the very first thing that I heard from uh, public safety was no one will want to do drug court. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, a couple things about that. One is if you're going through drug court, you're in there for two years, you, you, all you do is you, you relapse, you know, you test dirty, but you you should say in compliant with everything else. Well, I think that's a big win. If you can do that for two years and you have three relapses in two years, that should count as, okay, you, you passed, you know, don't toward the end say, uh Oh, too bad. You got to go to jail. But two misdemeanors all carry jail time. Most of them do. You can still 
get a person, obviously I use the word coerce, but let's say you're facing six months. You want to do six months in jail? Would you like to do three months in a drug court or diversion program? And if you complete it, you don't do the other. So there are ways to finagle that and you got to rebuild some things. But that diversion program we did in Caroline County for a few right. years, won national award, state award. We only had like three people, you know, over a three year period during Tony Spencer's reign that actually ended up in jail. So there, there are a lot of great options, but, but you got to have the willingness to do them and go after them. And I think that, you know, you're hitting on something too, which is as we've continued to learn and understand addiction and understanding relapse and understanding the types of substances that are being, you know, that are being abused, you know, used and abused, then the better off we are to know what is the best response because you're absolutely right. It took us a long time to realize that relapsing wasn't something that should been penalized. A benchmark for failure. Exactly. It took us a long time that's to That's a understand signal that. they need more continuous right, help. You right. Know. So, and that's the question about whether or not we have the resources, depending on which jurisdiction you're in, because that's the other thing I can't stand. I can't stand that someone in Pulaski uh, doesn't have the same resources as Henrico or somebody up in, you know, let's say, you know, Carroll County. Uh, people in this Commonwealth, for purposes of, you know, public health, should have the same access to care. And we've really got to fix that. So uh, if they're not completing drug court because there is a missing component to that continuum of care, we've got to figure out what's missing and we've got to make sure that that is existent so people can be successful. You know, I would like to see more consumer choice, though. You know, you look at our like our education system in Virginia, you can be in one jurisdiction and go to a community college in another or a state college in another. I mean, recovery providers, it should be like that. Our system should be designed so you know, better organizations can, can get people from outside their area and whatnot, you know, just, you know, things, we got a lot of great free thinking over here at McShen, man. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I think that that is, that is also true because, um, everyone's journey in recovery is not the same. It's an individualized journey mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what is the best thing for me may be a different, you know, may look different from you and may look different from Nathan. And I think that we also have to recognize that. And then again, have a spectrum of resources that can fit, you know, the different models, the different journeys. Let me ask you a quick question. The Suboxone, good, bad, or problematic? <laughs> not a thinking question. Well, it depends. That's right. You're damn right. You know, that's, why I, that's why I put problematic out there for you. That, that's the safe. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go with D all of the above. D all of the above. <laughs> Good, bad, and problematic. So, so um, you know, we, we got a ton of providers out here in the community, Suboxone providers. They blew up like the pain clinics, you know, right. and they blew mm. up like, you know, and, and here's something that aggravates me. Prior to the Suboxone clinics and, and Medicaid fully funding Suboxone addiction, we, we did a five-day taper. People would taper off of opiates using five-day step-down. Great outcome. The, the data was better than the Vivitrol and Suboxone data. But yet in Virginia, Medicaid won't cover somebody doing a five-day taper. I think that's a major problem. I think Medicaid should definitely cover for If a consumer wants to taper off an opiate, right. Do a five-day taper, get the Vivitrol shot, Medicaid should fund that, and doctors should be supporting that instead of just taking the easy route, you know. And 
And, and I think that's where you're going to find your support for your doctors who are involved in recovery and who are involved in understanding the different methodology method, you know, and, and, and doing the MAT and getting your, getting your medical professionals to get involved because you're absolutely right. Just because one thing, you know, that, that the state doesn't like one thing doesn't mean that it's not. They always throw the baby out with the bathwater, man. They're crazy about that, you know? And then the state has a tendency to get so close to the trees, they can't see the forest no more. Exactly. That's why I'm always standing back. I ain't going in the woods, man. (laughs) I'm up here on the hill. (laughs) Hey, look, you know, we're we're winding down our hour, and we we actually cut the air conditioner off up here. No one is so hot in here. (laughs) First of all, the hot air that we're all stuck out here. Oh, man. Well, well, it makes a lot of noise when we're we're, we're on the show. I appreciate that. But uh, any last uh, uh, questions or thoughts or comments? Uh, do you, do you have children? No. Okay. So do you have nieces and nephews? I do. You do. What if? What about them smoking or partaking? Are they over twenty one? <laughs> or your your <laughs> that, family? That's like I'm assuming that they're not already doing that. Well, well, how, how, well. See, that's the question though. So, so you have perhaps if you have your nieces and nephews come to you underage and talk to you, how do you tell them? What do you tell them? Oh, don't gosh. get caught. Well, <laughs> don't tell your mother. <laughs> I I am a stickler. I mean, so for my niece, you're the UVA, so don't say you're that right, big right, a stickler. Right. Well, okay. Yeah, I was also like 19 back then, <laughs> and I'm definitely not 19 anymore. So, um, what I mean, first of all, you know, I'm if whether or not they're drinking alcohol or smoking pot, you know, whatever, you want. I, 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 I am one of those people who believe so strongly in that whole like brain development. Mm-hmm. So I'm one of those weird people that, you know, kind of wish that we didn't do anything mood altering. So you're 25, man. Or 25. Right. Exactly. But to the extent, you know, because there is research. I mean, we do know that it well, has it an impact. With, it starts with sugar, just so you know. Oh, oh yeah. Mean, don't get me started on that yeah, either. Sugar, the engineered, <laughs> our engineered food supply, it all begins uh, with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Capitalism you know, at its finest. We're so screwed, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can't keep, can't get people to be qualified for the military. Yeah. Because they're all technically obese. That's right. It's terrible. Well, I'm not obese no more. I can get back <laughs> in the Marine Corps. By the way, if you haven't seen John, he looks fabulous. He's he grown his hair and he's lost like, you know, a bazillion pounds. 50 pounds. pounds 50 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so like for, you know, for my nieces and nephews who are, you know, 25 or older, I'm just going to tell them the same thing, which is just like, be careful and, you know, kind of know what you're dealing with, uh, which goes back to that comment about like the potency of stuff. And you just got to, you know, you have to trust people. About if you're going to use it, you got to hey, better know a, what you're using. Last last curveball. Families can have kids over <laughs> drinking alcohol, right? Well, Not really. Well, I mean, but they're going to have kids over smoking weed now. What's is it going to be a little harder? I mean, it's going to be the same thing. I mean, first of all, if you're a parent and you're letting your teenager go over to somebody else's house, That's, you shouldn't do that. Uh, you definitely want to know what the hell's going on over right. there, right? And to the extent that they're that the you know young people, I mean. When they're drinking booze and someone complains, police still come over they and they, uh, they got to come over. They, again, they call that a raid. When right. Well, let me, let me, just remember, <laughs> if you call the police, the police do have to respond. They will come. <laughs> they will have to come. And somebody will go to jail for <laughs> the crime being committed. So, you know, and we, and I regret to know there's like so many things that happen um, when kids are left unsupervised. And again, you know, everyone's got like, we all got our own stories about growing up and ex- life experiences, but like, just be smart. I mean, if you're going to be an adult and have kids over and you know they're going to smoke pot, 
please, you know, A, that is against the law because the kids can't do that. It's really against the law for the alcohol too. But like, you know, just think about, just think about that the you're, you're now the caretaker of all those young people in your home. Just no remember more. that. And, and if you got a hurt person trying to care for people getting hurt, you know what you're going to end up with. Right. Well, man, the hour goes by fast when you have fun. I know. Oh, I can't wow. believe it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> last words, then we got to go. Hey, last words. So uh, July 5th, Monday, July 5th, here at Hatcher Memorial Baptist Church, where McShin Foundation is, we're hosting an Independence Day celebration here from 1 to 4 p.m. We'd love to have you down. You can bring friends and family. I, if I make it back, July, yeah, I'll be coming back in from out of town. That's so, boy. But if you're listening out there, if uh, you're listening on the repeat, come on down. Get some free hot dogs, hamburgers, listen to some tunes spun by Justin over there. Oh, Justin. <laughs> like your haircut, Justin. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so thank you. Thank you for being on the show today. Absolutely. Great to see you. It's last, great to be here. Last words. And- uh, well, I'm, I think we should do this again in 90 days and uh, kind of like take, a, take a temperature we'll, out there, we'll, see what's going on. We'll do it. We'll do it. You got it. All right, gang, thanks for tuning in. We got two more. Well, no more shows this week. One more show. What do we no, got? We're, we're done for the week. Uh, we'll see you again next Tuesday. Um, Guests have not been confirmed yet, but I know it's going to be a good one. I have an idea. Next Tuesday, stripper day here at McShin. So we'll see y'all then. Thank you, Justin. More later. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Honesty Liller. I am the CEO of the McShin Foundation and a woman in long-term recovery. Since May 27, 2007, I have not used drugs or alcohol. Woo-hoo! Thank you so, so much to the Richmond Times Dispatch and all of our voters for getting the herd podcast. Those podcasts are amazing. Not only has it helped thousands upon thousands of people in their recovery, as well as family members, but it has helped me in my personal recovery. I get to listen to them now in my car through Spotify and iHeartRadio. And it's just really, really important for us to be innovative in the addiction field and the recovery community. So when COVID hit, we had to be innovative. You know, we really had to think of like, what can we do to reach people that cannot go to 12-step meetings? smart recovery, faith-based, whatever, um, that we're shutting down constantly. So we were innovative here at McShin. Let's start podcast. So with Todd, John, Alex, um, and some other staff, you know, we all just kind of jumped in who can do what. And um, with Todd's lead and John's lead, the podcasts have been amazing and we're still doing them today. So I want to thank you for all of your votes and all of your energy and all of your support of our mission of healing families and saving lives. Thanks.